The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Our reading this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kyle. Good morning, Park Church. It is good to be with you. This is my first time back to the in-person preaching. Um, and I had to, to think about pants again. I think Gary mentioned this, but this is a real thing. Uh, just like the same pair of jeans um, over and over again. And then it's like last night, hey, babe, um, you know those newish khakis I have? Um, do you know where they are? She's like, oh, your orange pants. It's like, yeah, I guess so. I guess my orange pants. Um, so we got those, got the iron out, got it good to go. Um, good to be with you. For those of you I have not met, whether here or at home, uh, my name is Neil. I serve as the Director of Formation and Missions here at the church. Um, and it's a joy to jump into Matthew uh, chapter 6 together. Uh, so let's pray together, and we'll get into it. Uh, Father, thank you for your kindness. Even just to, to pause around that idea for a second, uh, the reality that the God of the universe is kind toward us. Uh, that you, you draw near, uh, seeing our our waywardness, our rebellion, our confusion, uh, even though for, for some of us walking with you for years, we, we still find new ways to, uh, to pursue idols, to, uh, to run after the darkness instead of the, the life that is put on offer. And yet you see all of that and you are gracious and you are kind. So thank you. Uh, thank you that uh, you, your love is genuine, it's deep, it's uh, something that, that we, can, we can stake our entire lives upon and that it frees us into this posture of repentance, this posture of, of turning away from that which kills and turning toward you who gives life. And so may that be our experience this morning as we, you know, we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, please help us. Jesus, may we know that, uh, that your work on the cross and the resurrection, uh, it's real and it's for us. And that spirit, that you've, you've come to dwell with your people and that uh, you testify to our sonship, to the fact that we are sons and daughters of the king and that we're, we're free. So may we taste and see that you're good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I fear that we have become an image-driven culture. Uh, this really struck me uh, in the first couple weeks of, of March when things were shutting down. If you guys can remember back then, it was still in the same year that we're in now, which is kind of hard to imagine, but uh, COVID-19 was becoming uh, talked about a lot more. 
uh, beginning of 2020. And things were starting to, to close and people were trying to figure out what's next and what, what does it look like to move forward in life right now. Um, I remember talking to a couple a few weeks ago, they were actually over in England uh, those first couple weeks of March. And, and it's like, oh yeah, country's borders are closing and the CDC is signaling all these warnings. I think we're good. And then the NBA shut down. And they're like, hold on a second. I think something serious, like we actually need to book flights, get home before we're, we're trapped here for too long. That was kind of the signal. But, but there's a lot of talk around sports, even around the NBA initially of saying, hey, maybe we just play without fans. Maybe we still have games, uh, but there's no fans. And uh, you guys remember uh, social activist LeBron James, um, who also plays some basketball, not bitter at all about the Nuggets loss last night, uh, maybe a little. Uh, but he said this, when he was asked in early March, hey, would, would you play, what do you think about playing with no fans? He said this, we play games without fans? Nah, it's impossible. I ain't playing. I ain't got the fans in the crowd. That's what I play for. I play for the fans. That's what it's all about. If I show up to an arena and there are no fans there, I ain't playing. They can do what they want to do. Well, LeBron, they, they built a large Floridian bubble and you're currently playing basketball there. But be that as it may, this struck me. Like when he said this back in early March, I was like, that, that seems to resonate, not just in the, the world of sports. I can get it. Like that's so much of his job. It's playing for the fans, the experience for the fans. Get it. But that's, I think, a, a human inclination that all of us find within ourselves. Who's my audience? Who's, who's observing my life? What, what sort of image am I putting out there? What am I communicating to other people? And do they think well of me? Are they criticizing me? Do they envy me? Maybe I want that. It, we're constantly, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly we're asking that question, how many, how many likes do I get? Am I seen favorably? How many retweets? Are people liking the things that I'm about and kind of the image that I'm putting forward? Do people approve of my life as they see it? Frankly, it matters very little whether or not we're eating a meal or on a hike or with family or with friends or curating the perfect hashtag or whatever it is, so much concern, so much attention and energy can go toward how are other people receiving me? Is it good? Is it not good? Am I impressive? Am I not? Am I deemed a worthwhile person? Am I deemed a good person? Am I on the right side of the correct issues and, and speaking in the right ways at the right time in a way that other people can have approve of that? Our minds, our attention, our energy can be so consumed with that. How do other people view me? or at least the right people. Well, I think we've reached the point culturally that, that virtue is not so much defined by the substance of our actual lives anymore. It's rather defined by whether or not people think we're a good person. Do they deem us worthwhile? Are we someone they want to be like or to spend time with or they think correctly about fill-in-the-blank issue or topic? I appreciated what one cultural commentator, Theodore Dalrymple, said about this. He said, holding the right opinions has never, at least in my lifetime, been as important as it is now, if that is you want a reputation as a good person. Actual good conduct, which requires some effort, restraint, even self-sacrifice, has correspondingly become less important in earning a reputation for goodness. Holding a placard, chanting a slogan, expressing an opinion, that seems to be enough. I think he's right that this is a new phenomenon in some ways. I think we have different outlets for it, social media, whatever else. 
And at the same time, I, I think this is an issue as old as human sin and brokenness and depravity. This human tendency, this broken inclination in our hearts to want to be deemed as a good person, a worthwhile human, instead of actually paying attention to whether or not I am. And we find this in so many different areas. Well, this was, this was true when Jesus was on earth as well. The, the, the religious elites who, who held much of the power and the influence in that society, they, they'd created this system where, whereby, whereby their, their perceived righteousness would be currency in order to, to curry favor and to gain a good reputation and be thought well of and to maintain power, uh, to do what they wanted to do because they were seen as doing the right things, being the right kinds of people in the eyes of those around them. We see this particularly in Matthew 6. If you've closed your Bible or if you had it on a phone or iPad, I encourage you to open it back up. Uh, Matthew 6, I want to read just the first verse to begin. Matthew 6, 1 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is pushing into this unhealthy dynamic, this tendency that we have to, uh, to want to be thought well of instead of to actually be those who pursue Jesus. And, and it can feel, make us feel uncomfortable, I think. Because here, Jesus is not speaking directly to the what of our lives, things that we actually do, our activity. Because honestly, those are things that a lot of times with enough kind of moral effort, we can try to control to craft a certain image. He's saying now, what, what motivates it? What's underneath it? What's the, what's the why behind it? Is it to be seen by others? Is it to be applauded and praised, to be appreciated, to be recognized, uh, to gain the benefits that comes with that? Or is it to truly love God, to love neighbor? Because we become so deeply satisfied with the love of God in Christ that we feel no need for the praise and the applause of others. The first is the heart of an idolater. It's one who's seeking after image instead of Jesus. And the second is one who is a disciple of Jesus. Who's walking after him and sees him for who he is and has been freed by this love to walk freely. Well, Jesus then takes this basic idea of the motivation of the heart for why we do what we do, and he pushes out into three practices, three things that were very common within that culture and society, you know, very religious in nature. And so giving to the poor, prayer life, and fasting from food. You could have picked from any number of spiritual practices, but these were, were three that were just basic to that life, uh, to that society. And he said, let's consider these and, and, and really see the heart beneath it. What's fascinating, perhaps most convicting here, is that Jesus assumes these things are part of our lives. He's actually not saying, hey, go do these things. Go start having a prayer life. Go start fasting. Go start giving to the poor. He's saying, hey, you're already doing them. Now I want you to pay a little bit more attention to why you're doing them. Like, what are you actually trying to attain or achieve through it? What does it emerge from? Well, this morning we're considering giving, giving to the poor, uh, those, those who are materially poor in our midst, where he works out this principle. So look with me in verses 2 through 4, Matthew 6. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, when you give to the poor, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. Trumpets would be used to, to call an assembly, a gathering. It's like, hey, come pay attention, come together, come look, come behold, maybe for Sabbath worship or some other context where people were coming together to look and see. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't be concerned with who's seeing what you're doing. Don't draw attention to it. And we have the phrase, don't toot your own horns. Like, don't do things that, that would, would, would draw gaze and attention toward your act of generosity. And he also says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, it's impossible, right? It's like same body. Uh, he's speaking in hyperbole, trying to go to the extreme to draw out something within our hearts to understand what's going on there. And of course, this can be taken to some kind of weird, unhealthy extreme. Uh, a number of years ago, I had a friend who led a, a missions trip, led a team overseas, and God worked powerfully through a number of different ways, a number of different stories, and came back to the church we were at the time, and the, uh, the pastor asked, hey, would you be willing to go up front on a Sunday and just share some of the stories of what God did uh, while you guys were, were overseas? And he flat out refused, citing this verse, saying, no, 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 like, the left hand and the right hand, they can't know what each other is doing. So I, I cannot recognize these things. I can't talk about these things. That's missing the point. I, I think more what Jesus is after here, it's, it's kind of this move uh, that people will talk about when, when learning a new skill. Whenever we're taking on a new skill, uh, we, we typically begin with uh, kind of an unconscious incompetence. Like we're bad at it and we don't really know it. Like other people probably know it, but we're just like not great. And then hopefully we get to the point where we become consciously incompetent. It's like, oh, I'm not good at it still, but at least I know it. Like, I have some self-awareness. Like, I'm not good at this thing. I should probably pay attention to it. I should probably grow in it. And then over time, through practice, through, through intentionality and, and trying to improve in this area, uh, we can be consciously competent. So we're, we become actually good at the thing, but we're still kind of consumed with trying to do it, paying a lot of attention to it, a lot of energy goes toward making sure it's just right. The goal with anything we learn is to eventually get to the place where we're unconsciously competent. It becomes part of who we are. It becomes, you know, we have the phrase, you know, second nature. And we're doing the thing not because we're trying to, not because we're thinking about it, not because we're paying a lot of attention to it, but it's because it's become so embedded in our character and what it looks like to, for us just to, to live our lives. This is what Jesus is after. So much of the Sermon on the Mount. For us to follow him, to, to practice the way of Jesus with enough consistency. Yes, recognizing the, the darkness of our hearts, the, 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 the wrong motivations that are, uh, that are discovered there and we have to wrestle with and, and, and repent of and turn back to Jesus. But through that practice, eventually getting to this place where it's like, I, yeah, I guess I, I guess I am generous. I, I guess I just have this posture now of, of giving of myself and making sacrifices of the things God's given to me, but I'm not really paying a lot of attention to that. I, I'm just doing it. I've experienced the love and generosity of God, and I'm, I'm beginning to allow that to overflow into all the different relationships and contexts and spaces in my life. And so whether or not people see it, whether they appreciate it or recognize it or think I'm great because of it, it really makes no difference to me. That's not what I'm paying attention to. I want to see those around me be served and cared for and blessed through my life. Jesus also mentions this idea of rewards a few times in just four verses, uh, which I think can make us a little squeamish. 
I think a lot of times in the church we shy away from talking about rewards because we, we feel like as soon as we do that, we're going to talk about some sort of works-based salvation that we're earning our, our place of righteousness before God. Well, Jesus seems to have no trouble talking about rewards. Uh, we'll see even further in, in chapter 6. Here's what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, give to the poor, like find those who are marginalized and needy and, and give of your money and your, your resources and that will save you. Then you'll have right relationship with God. Then God will see how great you are, how generous you are. He will, he will have no choice but to bring you into his family. You're now saved. That's not what he's saying. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, not anything that we could ever earn through our own work, through our own righteousness. And yet he still talks about rewards. What Jesus is saying is that the one who is my disciple, the, the one who, who loves me, has been freed by my love, who recognizes the generosity that I've shown toward them, will feel no need to, to accumulate praise and recognition and craft a certain image on the outside. Because they'll be free of that or at least learning to walk in that freedom, that I, it's okay if people think well of me or, mis, or they misunderstand me, they don't like me, they think I did something great, they appreciate me, it, it makes no difference to me because I'm satisfied in the love of Jesus and I'm able to walk with him, to follow Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, and, and live the life that he's called me uh, to live and, and that involves sacrifice and generosity. And so if we're gonna kind of take the broad principle of what Jesus is saying here. It's this. If, if we give for God's sake, then we get God. If we give for our own sake, we get ourselves. Because we know that, that the rewards, the, the rewards that we get, whatever they are, it, Jesus isn't specific here, but it's always tied to God's presence. So as we live in the freedom of just walking after Jesus, knowing that we're secure in his love because of his work of righteousness, his gift of grace, we're able to give sacrificially. And as we do that, we will experience more of God. We'll, we'll get more of his presence and how it's kind of manifested in our lives uh, to know his delight in us. So if we give for God's sake, we get God. If we give for our own sake, we get ourselves. When we start getting honest with ourselves, I think we, we realize we're, we're quite awful at this, right? Like we, we have a, a culture which pushes us and incentivizes crafting a certain image, communicating something to the outside where we kind of place our identity out there. We want the praise of others. We want the recognition of others. What's running through our minds, like what are they thinking? What is that group of people thinking right now about me and my life? Do they like it? Are they critical of it? Something I need to tweak or improve to be more impressive around the right people. I think we fail in this so often. Even as I've spent time in this text over the past few weeks recognizing how often my heart is just like this gravitational pull to go there and the discipline that it takes to, to go back to Jesus and that's precisely what we need here to see Jesus. And to recognize the God-man who has who come that that perfectly did the will of the Father, like all of the works, all of the words that God had for Jesus to do, he did perfectly. And yet he was so often misunderstood, so often seen for the opposite of what he was actually doing. He, he was coming to, to pour out his life for the salvation of many, and people abused him, they ignored him, they rejected him, they refused his way of life. I mean, he didn't go viral until after he died. 
It was like he was living a life of obscurity, not something that uh, was immediately praised or recognized in that culture and society. And we know this, that he did it for us. Jesus chose to be misunderstood, to be rejected, to be left in obscurity, kind of tucked away into the, the corners of society. And when he, when he did come out and, and, and had more of a, a public uh, ministries that grew over time, it was often met with shame, with frustration, with rejection, with disbelief. And he did that so that we may be ushered into the love of the Father, so that we can be seen and known and loved through his work on the cross, in the resurrection, and giving us of his spirit. So I want us to to linger there just for a few seconds that God actually frees us. His love, his grace actually frees us to be honest about these dark places in our soul. The places that our motivations are warped. The places that that we look to the wrong place and we're trying to get acclaim and praise and, and recognition from those around us. His love The work of Jesus frees us to look at that darkness, to to see our rebellion and draw near to God for he draws near to us. And to sit there, to recognize the God of the universe, our creator, who is also our savior, he loves us, he sees us, and he loves us. And this frees us for a different way of living. Coming to Jesus, seeing the cross and the resurrection, receiving his spirit, frees us to live in a different kind of way. And so that's where I want to spend our remaining minutes together is to consider four different areas where we are now free to walk in hidden generosity. Now, to be okay that our self-sacrifice, our giving of ourselves, goes unnoticed, it goes unrecognized. Maybe it's even misunderstood and rejected and seen for the opposite of what it is. And all of this, it requires repentance. You know, even as, as Gary walked us through earlier, that this sweet invitation to, to, to be able to turn from that which would destroy us, turn from that which would kill us and leads to death, and turn instead to see Jesus who puts life on offer. He says, come to me and find the freedom of, of walking as my disciple. You don't need the praise and applause of other people. The, the image that, that you're trying to craft in social media or in a certain friend group or whatever sphere of influence we may have, we don't need it. We don't need to stake our identity there. Well, four different areas. The first is the most obvious, uh, giving to the materially poor. This is the one that Jesus talks to specifically here. In, in addition to uh, what we give to our local church, uh, to whatever saving or investing we may do, are we leveraging our financial and material resources for the good of those who have need? But for those who are on the margins of society, this look a, a lot of different ways. You know, in Jesus' time, they had a, a fairly well-developed system of, uh, of allowing people to, to give of their finances to those who had need. Today, it is so complex. There's so many different opportunities and needs and issues. And we, if we want to, we can just uh, be overwhelmed by the opportunity to, to give. And so the goal is to not do everything we possibly can to give to every single issue that exists, but rather... Are we paying attention to that? Are, are, are we, we taking what God has given to us and loving and blessing and serving others with it? Not, not so we can humble brag in the right context, not so we can get a plaque on a wall or sit on a board or whatever else. Those things may not be bad in and of themselves, but do we genuinely, genuinely want to see others experience the love and the freedom of Jesus, particularly the poor and the marginalized? Well, second, consider your work. 
your occupation? Uh, what education, experience, uh, previous jobs, influence, opportunities uh, has God given to you in your work? And how are you leveraging those? Are you thinking like, how, how do I gain the promotion, like a greater salary? How am I uh, kind of going to finally land a place on that executive team? Now, how am I going to have more influence, maybe prowess in my field, more recognition from those around me to think I'm really successful and I, I accomplish something? Is that where our mind goes? Or, or do we feel the freedom of Christ's love to be able to say, I, I want to love my neighbor. I want to serve those around me. I want to give of what God's given to me freely to clients and customers, to fellow employees, people that, that work for us, our bosses, those that are impacted by our work in our work context. Are we leveraging what God has given to us to serve them? We're freed to do that. Third, our household. Who do you live with? Roommates, husband, wife, kids, all the above. It's amazing how many opportunities we have within our homes to just find little ways of serving and sacrificing for those that we live with. And yet so quickly, we run to, hey, did you, did you see it? Did you recognize it? Did you appreciate it? Hey, actually, actually put the dishes in the dishwasher. I didn't soak them this time. Like, did you see that? It's like a moral dilemma in our home, longstanding. Do you soak or not? Um, or it's like, hey, don't you realize how, how much I've been working like to, to care for those in my home? Uh, don't these kids recognize like all that I do to keep them alive? Like, can't they show some more appreciation? Christ has freed us from, from using our generosity, what, what we give and sacrifice as currency to try to pull appreciation or recognition from other people. We do not need it. We do not need that from others because we are secure in Christ. We are freed by his love. We're satisfied in him. And now our life can be poured out on behalf of others. And then last, consider how you engage issues of cultural reform or issues of justice or uh, any number of things that are kind of coming to the foreground now or uh, longstanding issues that we're paying attention to now. Uh, my, my fear is that so often we, we spend more time trying to curate the right hashtag or post or going to the right audience to, to convince other people that we're on the right side of an issue or convince other people that they're wrong and they need to listen to us. We do so much of that that we miss loving the flesh and blood individuals, the human beings that we actually spend time with on a regular basis. To love them, to sacrifice for them, to care for them. Maybe, maybe we don't see the same way on a certain issue, but am I serving them? Am I loving them? Am I, am I trying to, to help them experience more of the love of Christ in the way that I interact? Are there going to absolutely be space for posts and discussions and debate and everything else? But if that excludes and pushes out a love for neighbor, the ones that we actually spend time with, then I think we are, are missing something. We have the opportunity to serve with our words, with our convictions, with our activity in broader society and culture. Well, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people because you'll probably get exactly what you're looking for. Uh, you'll get a reward, but it is not satisfying. It is not Christ himself, and it is very fleeting. It's very fickle. Instead, we need to turn to Jesus, who was willing to be misunderstood, to live in obscurity so that those who needed to receive what he had to offer could truly receive it. And in this, there is great reward. For in seeking to please yourself and impress your neighbor, you lose both. 
but in seeking to please God and to serve your neighbor, you gain both. So I want us to spend just a, a couple of minutes. I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll have a couple questions come up um, on the screen. But I want us to, to spend a little time considering what God might be doing in our own hearts right now. Now, the questions are this. Where are you motivated by the applause and the appreciation of others? And then second, how might Jesus want to rearrange things in your heart so that you may experience more of him? So let me pray for us, and those questions will come up on the screen. We'll have a couple minutes uh, to to silently reflect and allow the Spirit of God to to search us and know us. But Jesus, we, we do thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your joy. I think that we're able to, to experience this freedom and joy, to, to walk in the newness of life, uh, to, to, be, to be those who, who give of themselves, not because we, we're trying to gain something, not because we're trying to, to pull something from others, but because we, we know what it's like to experience your generosity, your goodness. So search us now, know us, convict us where we need it, and invite us into that sweet place of repentance that we may taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.